0: Gate. So, we'll stand and sing Psalm 133.
1: How excellent a thing it is, how pleasant and how good, when brothers dwell Color spread upon his collar spread like hermans, you upon the hill of Zion, it descends. The Lord bestows his blessing. Name. The life that never ends. The life that never ends. I'm good to ask
0: David Ellis to come and bring us God's Word. David. Well, we're going to look into the Psalms again this morning and just turn back a few pages to page 622, if you've got a church Bible, 622, 622. It's another one of those uh, hymns of the pilgrims that they sang as they trundled their way towards Jerusalem, and it's one that you're very familiar with, I'm sure. They're on their way marching to Zion, the temple, because that's the place where God has chosen to meet with his people. You know, looking at this psalm the other day, I saw it from a new angle. And particularly those words, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? Jerusalem itself was on a hill. It was on a mountain. It was surrounded by mountains. And those particular hills were notorious. They were the haunt of the bandits, the robbers. You know the story of the good Samaritan. They were rocky places. They were slippery places. Quite a dangerous place to spend the night if you couldn't get through them. And if you were somewhat tottery on your legs like some of us, you'd have found it quite hard going. Well, we all know about mountains in Scotland. Of course, we're the experts. But have you noticed that how big and frightening a mountain looks just depends on where you happen to be on the road? (coughs) I go to Glasgow nearly every week and uh, come back up the M8, the M9... And I noticed one day as I got to Bannockburn that I could see what I thought were alpine peaks in the middle of the road. If you know the road, you'll probably have possibly had the similar experience. But as soon as you get over a certain point on the road and start to come down onto that plain where Stirling Castle is, they ain't no alpine peaks, I tell you. They're just a few foothills. Although I think the people of Stirling wouldn't like you to call it that. But you see, for our pilgrim, the the prospect in front of him as he looked towards Jerusalem was really quite terrifying. And no wonder he asks, where does my help come from? How on earth am I going to manage? Well, of course, this is poetic language and uh, there are all sorts of ways in which you could look at those mountains and interpret them. But one thing is quite clear. They were neither the object of fear nor were they some mysterious source of strength that would get him to the temple because he knew that the real secret was that God was with him. Verse 2, if you're reading, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. A couple of weeks ago, that truth came to me in a very new way, that he's watching over my comings and goings. Driving along Riverside Avenue, speed limit is? Thank you, you're awake. And because I've got cruise control, I was doing 40. 40. And suddenly, out from that road from in the gallery, a white van man came, and he shot in front of me. And the moment he realized he was going to hit me, instead of driving on, he stopped. plumb in front of me. Now, thanks to my good son, John, I have a good car, and I put my foot on the brakes, but I knew I was going to hit that side of that van. Great white van. That somehow... I didn't hit it. One of the ladies who was driving a car behind this man actually got out and drove her car along to see if I was all right. I don't think you could have put a cigarette paper between me and the van. And I thought, the Lord. Somehow he put his hand there and I didn't hit him. And it reminded me of another experience. You know, missionaries have a lot of coming and going. I used to be in the China Inland Mission, and they said that the, C, the initials CIM stood for Constantly in Motion. Well, we changed our name to OMF, and they said that just meant only more frequently. <laughs> There's a lot of truth in that. Pray for missionaries in travel. Well... I was brought up in a military family and my father, an officer in the real engineers, always made sure his watch was five minutes before it should be the right time. My son, he would say, you've got to be on the parade guard in time. So I always am or try to be in time. Indonesia at that time was going through a revolution, a very bloody revolution from the communists. It was difficult. We couldn't get supplies. Couldn't get transport, couldn't get anything. So, as we went back from our furlough to the Far East and had to drive to Trieste, we went with a new car, uh, a Fiat, not a Fiat, a Renault. They used to call them knobby cars. They, they sort of tilt backwards and tilt forwards like that. And it was full of spare parts. Being an engineer, I knew something would go wrong with the car. So, I filled the car with all the spare parts I knew I couldn't get in Indonesia. And all sorts of other things. And we got down to Calais. uh, Sorry, to Dover. And we were right at the front of the queue to get onto the ship. When Adele, my wife, who I always obeyed, said to me, I haven't posted that letter. I said, well, you can't post it now. We're just about to go onto the ship. She said, ah, but it's a tradition in our family. We always send a letter before we leave the country. She used to do a lot of backwards and forwards to France and Italy. So being a humble, uh, kind husband who always did what his wife asked, I said, all right, dear, let's go find a post box. So we drove away from the queue, and I was fretting all the time. You try finding a pillar box in Dover when you're in the quayside. It's not easy, but we did eventually. And of course, at the end of the day, we were at the back of the queue. The ship took off, and it was wet, and it was windy, and it was worse, very rough. And halfway across the channel, as we were sitting there thinking thoughts about being a Jonah and looking around for a whale, there was a sudden horrific, shattering shock. The engines went off, and ship's bells started to chime in all directions, and staff and the crew were running hither and yon. The ship was turned into the waves in some peculiar way so as to ride it out. And then names were read out, a list of names, with the following people, please contact the purser. And we listened and we listened, and our name wasn't on it. And then when we finally got to Calais, the announcement over the loudspeaker was, uh, well, those of you who are going down to the car deck to retrieve your cars... Please take extreme care and do what you are told. So we went down and when we got down, what confronted us was just sheer mayhem. A large, refrigerated, articulated lorry had broken loose and smashed through a whole row of cars. And we were one car away from being smashed. And my immediate reaction was, he watches over your coming and your going, both now and evermore. It might have been different, but the Lord in his grace saw us through. And strangely enough, when we retired and had to settle our house in Seven Oaks, a young man came along to buy it. And he said, would you mind if my father came along to see it, to give the thumbs up? (coughs) Well, the father came along and we sat down and we chatted and for some reason I told him this story. He said, oh, yes, I know that story. You see, I was one of the directors of the ferry company and you were very fortunate not to go down with the ship. And he bought the house. (laughs) The Lord watches The Lord watches over you. Well, we're all pilgrims. Not marching to any physical temple at Jerusalem, but looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, because we are marching where? To our heavenly Jerusalem. And to Jesus, God's temple, where we will meet with God. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. That is Jesus For in Christ, all the feelness of the deity lives in bodily form. The thought that's come to me through all of this is that wherever we are in life along the road, there are always going to be mountains and hills. And what they look like and how they frighten us may depend on where we are on the road. Perhaps when we're younger, we're worried about our future. What university should we go to? What subjects ought we to study? And have we got the capacity to get a degree or not? Will we pass the exams? And then, of course, the big one, are we going to make the right kind of relationships with the boy or the girl or whatever? But then as we get older, the challenges change and the mountains change. Can we keep going in the job that we're in, or do we need to change? Have we made a mistake? Where should we live? How can we afford the mortgage? How can we protect our children and bring them up to love the Lord in this day and age when education is so fraught with denials of the word of God? How are we going to make ends meet? What church ought we to link up with and commit ourselves to? What commitment should we make? Then for any of us who, or any of you who, like me, are classified as wrinklies, or in my case, what they call the old elderly, things begin to change. All sorts of fears come. Some of them crippling in the night as we try to face up to them. My son, John, sent me a text message trying to encourage me at the thought of having to preach on Sunday and he said, Dad, you know it's been said that there are three signs of old age. The first is memory lost and I forget the other two, (laughs) it's true. What do you miss most when you get old? You missed your mind. There's nothing like being with a group of young people to see how sharp and quick they are. And you think, well, maybe one day I was like that, but it ain't like that now. Loss of mobility. Loss of feeling relevant. Even the loss of being able to understand young people when they talk in half sentences, as they seem to do today. The Twitter generation. And I think when you find that you can't understand this uh, Twitterarties or whatever they call themselves, it means a revolution has taken place and you've missed it. You lose your confidence. And the abilities that you once took for granted are not there anymore. (laughs) The psalmist in Psalm 84 was also a pilgrim and he also faced these kind of things but he had his mindset made up He focused on the goal as to where he was going and what was the fundamental purpose of his life that was to meet with God and to get to know him. How lovely, he says, is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. And if you read on in his psalm, Psalm 85, you find he changes the metaphors, because this is poetry. He changes the metaphors from mountains and hills to valleys. And he says, blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage as they pass through the valley of Barkar. And that word indicates an arid desert place a kind of wilderness experience a time of weeping and dryness as they pass through that kind of valley they make it a place of springs the autumn rains also cover it with pools and they go from strength to strength until each appears before God in Zion you know when I read that psalm I think he must have been a kind of Tigger character do you know who Tigger was those of you who are Winnie the Pooh uh, addicts as I was, and I still am. I think he was the sort of person who would be very upbeat with his hands raised and had that kind of blessed, happy temperament that could say, always look on the bright side. We're not all like that, are we? My children tell me I'm more like Puddleglum. Do you know who Puddleglum was? Will, you look a bit confused. It's a very British name. Puddleglum was a marsh wiggle in one of Lewis's stories of Narnia. And there's a story, there's a part in the story, he always looked on the black side of everything, did Puddleglum. This thing will happen or that won't happen and so on and so forth. And at one point they're confronted with Prince Rillian tied into a chair and they've been told that if he gets released from that chair then he will kill everybody. But Aslan has told Puddleglum to listen to the signs and the signals. And when he hears that signal, he says, we've got to release him. And then he says, this fellow will be the death of us once he's up. I shouldn't wonder. But he did it because he was obeying the sign he'd been given. I think he was a Presbyterian, Scottish Presbyterian at that you know, I've come to love those three characters, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He used to, as children, used to have a little rhyme about that, about going to bed at night. I think you probably know the story. I can see a smile on your face. But I love the story because here they are, standing in front of a fiery furnace. Death is staring them in the face. And they say, our God, whom we serve, is able... He is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They had their hearts set on pilgrimage. They knew, they did not doubt God's power. And they trusted God's purposes. And they said, in effect, if it is God's purpose that we should be consumed by that fire, so be it. We refuse to disobey. You know, sometimes in life, we have to accept that it is in God's purposes to allow an if-not. He doesn't always deliver us. There are times when we maybe fail an exam. Times when we lose a job. Times when our children get into difficulties and we don't know what to do for them. We've run into financial problems. And we've fallen out with our nearest and dearest friends. Or perhaps as we've gone further down the road, we fall sick. We find we have to walk with a stick. Our dearest friends have passed away. Maybe we've even been diagnosed with a malignant tumour. And one thing that stays the same is that nothing stays the same on the pilgrim path. If so, what then? If it's an if not, can we still sing, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage? As they pass through the valley of arid weeping and sorrow. They make it a place of springs. They go from strength to strength. Till each appears before God in Zion. How how easy is it to actually believe that. And live the truth of that. When you're looking into the valley of the shadow. We all love Romans eight 28, don't we? We know that in... If this was an Indonesian congregation, they would tell me the rest of the verse. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose, Predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. But how does it work out? There's a Puritan called Thomas Watson who once said the problem is that God's providences sometimes seem to be at variance with his purposes which put in simple English means sometimes it's hard to know what's going on. Doesn't make sense. Quite difficult as a missionary, they tell you you ought to have a hobby. Well, my hobby was building kit cars. And there ain't no kit cars in Indonesia or on the mission field. But there were plenty of cars to repair. And if you came into my garage when I was building something and you saw the engine in pieces, cogs, pistons, springs, valves, camshafts, crankshafts, all sorts of weird shapes and sizes, a work in progress, and you might very well say, what a mess. Doesn't make any sense to me. And I would say, ah, but it makes sense to me. Because I know how they all come together. I know how they all work in harmony. I know how eventually one day you'll turn the key and the engine will start. And it will pass its MOT. Someone died in your family. Someone has a dreadful sickness in your family. You've lost your job. You've had an accident or even worse. And your life just looks like a jumble of confusing wheels and odd shaped bits. And you say, I can't put it all together. But God says, I can I can and one day I will and my promise is that one day you will be like him because you will see him as he is it will all come together I said to you that it depends where you are on the road as to how big the mountains appear what shape they have how impossible they look And it depends where you are on the road. David Robertson's favorite Puritan was a man called John Flavel, and he wrote this, The providence of God is like Hebrew words. It can be read only backwards. To some of our Chinese friends here with us, They say there's a fundamental difference between the way in which the Chinese Christian reads the word of God and the Westerner reads the word of God. When the Westerner reads the word of God, he goes like this. But he said, when we Chinese read the word of God, we go like this. Yes. Well, you know too on mountains that when you're on the top of a mountain, it's far easier to see the way that you've come than when you're just starting at the bottom. And if you look at Psalms 124 and 25, which I will spare you, these pilgrims have finally reached the temple to meet with God. And they say this, Psalm 124, one verse, If the Lord had not been on our side, verse 4, the flood would have engulfed us, the torrent would have swept over us, and our help is in the name of the Lord. And then verse 1 of chapter 125 those who trust in the lord are like mount zion which cannot be shaken but endures forever as the mountains surround jerusalem so the lord surrounds his people he watches over them both now and forevermore You see, it may well be that some of those mountains that you face are actually in the purposes of God as a provision and a protection, even if you don't understand the why and the wherefore. Hard to imagine, is that? Are you facing some particular problem even right now? And you think to yourself, I can't make sense out of this. I remember a particularly very difficult experience in my life and in the family. Going to an elderly uncle of mine who was paralyzed with a stroke. And I told him the whole story about this and I said, I really can't understand how God could ever let that happen in our family." and he looked at me quietly and he said you know the problem we judge by the going God sees the goal ye fearful saints fresh courage take the clouds you so much dread are big with mercy And will break in blessings on your head. That particular hymn. God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. Was written by a man who suffered deep, deep depression. William Cooper. But he could write blind, unbelief belief is sure to err. And scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter. And he will make it plain. Psalm 71, there's a very old pilgrim. I love the psalm. It's a psalm for the wrinklies. And he says this. Since my youth, O God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds, even when I am old and gray, Do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. Which is why it's good sometimes to see that those who are further down the road than us are able to thank him for all that's passed in their life and trust him for all that's to come. I want to close by reading to you from Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret. Hudson Taylor was the founder of the China Inland Mission, so I've got a vested interest. Incidentally, if you don't know what the China Inland Mission is, you call it the Overseas Missionary Fellowship International, or OMF International, since the word missionary is not politically correct internationally. Point made. Hudson Taylor wrote this. He was reading Mark chapter 11 verse 22 in the Greek. I think the missionaries in those days were much cleverer than we are because we don't read in the Greek. But he was reading it in the Greek. And he was struck with the words which, literally translated, because I didn't dare give you the Greek, said this, have or hold the faithfulness of God. That was the literal Greek and that seemed he said strangely unusual and it was new to him so turning to the corresponding words in the english bible he read mark 11:22 have faith in god oh that's familiar enough then something within him whispered the old difficulty how gladly would he have And increase faith in God if only he knew how. But this seemed entirely different. It laid emphasis on the other side of the matter in a way that he found surprisingly helpful. It wasn't have in your own heart and mind, however you can get it, faith in God but simply hold fast and count upon his faithfulness at all times and under all circumstances, we are to be fully persuaded of this blessed truth. Not my faith, but God's faithfulness. And the man who holds God's faithfulness will not be foolhardy, Nor will he be reckless, but he will be ready for every emergency. The man who holds God's faithfulness will dare to obey him. Abraham held God's faithfulness and offered up Isaac, accounting that God was able to raise him from the dead. All God's giants, said Hudson Taylor, have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on His being with them. Hold fast. Count upon His faithfulness at all times, under all circumstances whatever tomorrow morning holds for you for you are not on your own let's pray dear Lord you said that if we have faith as small as a mustard seed you can say to this mountain move from here to there and it will move We all have hills to climb, mountains to face, dry valleys to walk through, but we don't face them alone. You promise never to leave us, and you keep your promises. Lord, help us to hold fast on to your faithfulness. And so move the mountain of fear and anxiety from our hearts. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.